The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Awen Dawn, is an author, teacher, and high priestess in the pagan tradition. Her newest book is entitled Paganism on Parole, Connection to the Magic All Around. Her essay, Prison and Paganism, is featured in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Awen Dawn, welcome to the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, it is really my pleasure. I've read the essay. They sent me an advanced copy of the essay. Lucky and you. <laughs> absolutely. And I was going through your website, and, you know, I'm fascinated by religion in general, and paganism is really something that, that is worth looking into. So let me start this way. I have met a lot of great spiritual teachers whose wisdom I guess you could say ripened in monasteries or in ashrams. Your story isn't all that different, with one exception, that your monastery was prison. That's, that's true. So tell us how you ended up in prison and how your time there was, in a sense, a blessing. Well, so in order to answer that question, I have to go back a few years before prison. I grew up, there was a lot of childhood trauma in my adolescence, and I grew up and I found drugs, and drugs became this escape for me. They became this way that I didn't have to feel anything, which at the time I thought was the same thing as being happy. And as drugs tend to do, that led me down a path of rehab and prison, and um it was really the time that I was in prison that forced me to slow down and get rid of all the stuff, all the garbage that I had been carrying and really ask myself if this was the path I wanted to go on. And there's a moment I actually talk about in my article. So everybody has a job in prison, whether you're a porter and you clean the units or, you know, whether you're in classes. And my particular job was to go out into fields and to do like manual labor, sweating with my hands in the earth and the sun shining down on me and like getting to experience a breeze. And these were things like I had felt these things before for the most part, but I'd never really appreciated them because there was always other stuff. And so I was pagan before I went to prison, but that's when I really kind of had that epiphany moment of not wanting my life to be a series of prisons and jails and addiction and bad choices with relationships, you know, and the prison I was at, I can't really compare to other prisons because fortunately I've only been locked up the one time, but there were books on Wicca, on paganism, on spirituality. And I just, I started reading because I was starving. I was starving and it was the only thing I knew to do. 
So that's interesting because I thought just from the article that you really discovered paganism in prison, but you ripened it in prison. How did you find it in the first place? What tradition did you come from, if any? And how did you find the pagan tradition? So it's kind of kind of a weird story. I just remember I ended up with this book by this well-known Wiccan author, Silver Ravenwolf, and the book was called To Write a Silver Broomstick. And to this day, I can't tell you how I came to have that book in my possession. But I do remember reading it and for the first time, you know, reading like, hey, there's still people that that worship the old gods. And a lot of the things she was saying kind of clicked in my head and I didn't feel alone. And so that was when I was a teenager, you know, a good at least decade before I ended up incarcerated. And I just kind of left it there. You know, I just, I was like, oh, I've got this book. I've got a thing to call it. Okay, I'm good. I'm fine. And for a while, that surface level was all I thought there was. What was the tradition you grew up in, if any? Technically, my my grandparents and a lot of my family are Southern Baptist. I was fortunate in that my mom did not enforce that. She she always kind of let me follow whatever path. So I went through a period where I was atheist, where I was agnostic, where I was like, well, I'll look into Buddhism for a while. And like, I I picked up on pieces of all of these. And it wasn't until I found Wicca that I started to formulate something that felt true. So I'm curious about you know, your aha moment when you go, oh, there are people who worship the old gods, if I'm quoting you correctly. So who are these gods that you're talking about? Okay, so that's a very big question, because you have to consider that before Christianity and and Judaism and before monotheistic religions, there were people in on virtually every continent, not Antarctica, of course, but there were people in South America and Africa and the North American continent and and Europe and Asia who worshipped not necessarily gods, because depending on the Native American tribe, you know, it might have been ancestors or spirits or something like that. But when I talk about paganism, I'm specifically talking about the polytheistic practitioners in ancient Europe and in Egypt too. Um, You have to include that because they had so many gods. And even from Europe, you have to consider that there are Slavic deities. There are Egyptian deities. Once again, that's not Europe, but there are Celtic deities. There were Norse deities. And so these are the old gods. And I have deities I work with that are specific to me, and they've changed over time with my needs. And as I've grown, you know, for a while I worked with Danyu, and she's Celtic. And, you know, now I tend to lean more towards the Norse deities. But really, when it comes to worshiping the old gods, it's any of them. It's all of them. It's some of them. And some people even view them as energies. And so this is something I talk about in my first book, Paganism for Prisoners, how it's, you know, if we, if there's vibrations, right? Like nothing is really solid and we're all energy and I'm energy, you're energy, the bookshelf is energy, animals are energy, plants are energy, planets are energy. Then you have to consider that these vibrations kind of flow through everything. And so some people see deities this way. And so this is more, now I kind of have this intermediary, you know, where I kind of see them as complex. But at the time, my my old gods were the Celtic gods. And so 
you know, they carried me through prison, especially Danyu, who I mentioned earlier, because she's this very loving maternal energy. So when you say, uh, I mean, use two, two terms with regard to the old gods, worship and work with. Is there a difference? Um, I mean, worship, I can imagine what that might be. But when you say you work with the different deities, how do you work with them? Are they like archetypal energies within you? Well, and so I can only speak for myself on this because different pagan and Wiccan practitioners will have different ways that they work with deities. And so the first thing to understand is there's a saying, I wish I could remember the author. This is not my quote, but it's, we kneel at the altar in reverence, not in supplication. So it's kind of giving homage to the gods. So when I say work with the gods, I mean everything from like, hey, I'm having a conversation with Freya, you know, hoping that a solution will be provided to honoring the moon cycles and Sabbaths. And, you know, in meditation, I'll work a lot with the gods and I'll ask them to come and join me. And, you know, so their energies present. And as far as what the gods are, like that's... <sighs> If you asked a million people that question, you would get a million different answers. I kind of see it this way, though. If you have this guitar and this guitar has a million strings on it, okay, each string has a different vibration, has a different resonance. And so your A string, we might call that the Celtic gods. And the D string, we might call that the Norse gods. And then, so each specific note might be a specific deity. So I see them very much as, yes, they are energy, but they're also, they're also individual. It's kind of like how you and I are both members of the human race, but you and I have never have never met. And you might not know somebody who lives in Georgia, for example. You might not know Peggy Sue in Georgia, but you're still related. You still have that connection. And that's how the gods are for me. And other people will steadfastly tell you that they're just energy. Other will say, no, they're just archetypes. Others will say, no, they are as tangible as you or me. And so it's really something that a person has to discover for themselves. And my view of the gods and goddesses has changed over time. And that's one of the beautiful things is there isn't, there doesn't have to be this right or wrong kind of approach. If I understand art, I'm going to communicate through art. If you understand math, you're going to communicate through math. So why wouldn't we expect that the gods and goddesses to do the same thing and to communicate with us in a way that we can understand? So is it fair to say that one of the things that all the different understandings of paganism may have in common is that it's earth honoring. I would say generally speaking, yes, you're going to find that. I'm sure there are some pagan faiths that, you know, might be exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, you could make that assessment. Because I always get the sense that a lot of the monotheistic religions, but not only, I mean, they may have started out as earth honoring, but they've evolved in such a way as to be sometimes earth denigrating, earth denying, where salvation, and I'm going to ask you to help me understand what that might translate into in, in your tradition, but where salvation is somehow 
not of this world. I mean, God is not of this world in the religions I'm thinking of, and salvation is off planet. Now, this, sometimes this could be you know, purely science or materialism in that the goal is to get off the earth and go inhabit another world and you know, spend a few millennia destroying that one. But some of them are, well, I'm going to go to heaven or I'm going to go to another plane of existence. But it's always about escaping from this the natural reality in which we find ourselves at the moment. Is there a goal to paganism as you practice it? You know, for is there an afterlife? What's the theory about when you die? Okay. So um, most of us, and I say most because, you know, you will meet pagans with different viewpoints, but most of us believe in reincarnation. And there's a very good reason for this. Like, if you look at the world around us, what do we have? We have spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, and the cycles. They repeat over and over and over again. And so we have to understand, first of all, that we are part of nature. We are not a part from nature. So when you see yourself as being a part of nature, you kind of understand that the natural rhythms of the planet apply to you as well. You know, we see this with things like seasonal affective disorder, for example, it is a great, it's, we know it exists. It's something that's medical and it's been documented and it ties into when you don't tune through the seasons like you should and like if you notice in the spring, like spring cleaning, everybody wants to clean their house and get rid of stuff. And this is a natural cycle that occurs within human beings. That's why so many of us experience it. And so when it comes to an afterlife, my view is that we come here and we learn lessons and there's no like, you know, final punishment. When we die, we take accountability for our actions now. If you're a jerk today, you pay for it today not after you die. And and it's also important to understand that like the way that that Buddhists and Hindus view reincarnation is going to be a little different than we tend to view it in the Western world, but that's kind of beyond the scope of this conversation. So essentially, you know, we die and we have these lessons and then like our spirit selves, our energetic selves kind of plans, for lack of a better word, the next lessons that we're going to learn. So Think about somebody who comes to this planet and, it, you know, they visited a few times. You know, let's say that, you know, they have a strong connection. They're like, I feel really strongly connected to the tribes of China and to South America. And there's a good possibility it's because they've been there before. And so, you know, this theory that the people who have the hardest lives have probably visited this planet the most times. Because if it's your first time on earth, it's going to be kind of like the amusement park version, you know, like I'm going to be born in this family and, you know, have good parents and not that anybody has a perfect life, but essentially, it, you know, it's going to be the softer, gentler approach. And then after you've been here five, 10, 15, I don't even know how many times, you know, you start to be like, okay, now in this experience, I'm going to go through life blind and I'm going to learn from those challenges or I'm going to go through life. I'm going to experience incarceration in this life. Let me just jump in because you're being very clear and I think we get it. I just want to clarify a couple things. So is Awin reborn 
or is the spirit so, takes on the form of Awen this time, and then Awen is gone, and this, but the spirit self, the energy self, whatever you're going to call it, comes back to learn something else, but may come back as somebody else. I mean, to what extent is your ego identified with your spirit self? I don't think ego is identified with spirit self. I think things like anger and jealousy and greed and like competition and all these things, I think these are things that we as human beings know and understand. But I think that when we're our energetic form, we're just energy. Is energy good or bad? It's neither. It just is. It's just a thing that is. And I think that's what we are when we're in this state between lives. And so our physical body, you know, most of us get buried. So that goes back into the earth and gets recycled as it does. And then if you want to call it a soul or a spirit or an ethereal form, whatever term makes you comfortable, like that's what carries on. And it's almost like, it's almost like metaphysics, you know, it's almost like that, that physics that goes beyond regular physics because we can't calculate the spirit self and like where exactly do those molecules go. But there have been so many instances where people remember things from the past that they shouldn't remember or feel this overwhelming calling. And like another thing to understand about that is time isn't linear like we think it is. So it's theoretically, it's possible that I'll be reborn in ancient Scandinavia, for example, because if time doesn't really exist as we understand it, then it's not necessarily, oh, I'm going to be born in the year 3000. I might be born in the year 500 AD. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Oh, so that's really interesting. So time is, like you said, is not linear. It no. goes forward, backwards. So you could end up anywhere. You could, um, in theory. So that that is an interesting thing. That's I don't know if I've ever heard anyone put it that way before. But yeah, so that that is a very interesting way of looking at it. It gives you a lot more options than just an endless progression. Right. You know, towards some end point. When you were in prison, you discovered, I guess, the prison library, and you said there are these books on Wicca and other pagan topics of pagan interest. And then when you got out, you found a teacher, right? Yes. Can you tell us, because in the article, you don't tell us who she is or who he is. So can you tell us about post-prison pagan journey? Because I shouldn't, I should, I mentioned it in the, in the intro that you are a high priestess. So yes. let's talk about how you went from prison to priestess. Okay. And that's actually, that's weird that you worded it like that. Someday you'll know why. I did find a teacher. I don't talk about her much because we did not end things on the best terms. Sometimes people just grow apart. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. Just people outgrow each other. And so we outgrew each other. But I met her through through a website. I don't know if I should mention the website or not, but I'll just say it's a website that specializes in meetups for groups. 
And, and I went through the year and a day training that she was offering. It was, it was all very, it felt like fate. It felt like a bit of destiny because she had just started that class right as I was getting out. And then I ended up teaching that class with another person for a couple years while I was getting my second degree initiation. And um, so Back when I was in prison, there were two chaplains named Martin and Carrie, who they were the only pagan chaplains in the state, but they actually would answer letters from anybody, regardless of their faith, and give them counseling. And so I'd met them when I was incarcerated. I got out. I worked with this other teacher for a while, and then I ended up doing DOC volunteer work. I used to call it teaching witchcraft to the inmates. (laughs) But DOC is what? Oh, that's prison. It's the Department of Corrections. Yeah. Okay. And so they ended up giving me my second degree and then eventually my third degree initiation. So I went through that process of teaching on the outside for a couple of years and then teaching on the inside for a couple of years. And when they determined I was ready, I was able to become a high priestess in my own right. So what does a high priestess do? Pretty much a high priestess means that you're ready to teach like it. Some will say that you need to have that you need to have a coven in a way, though, I did. Those students were like my coven, even though it wasn't quite as formal. So it's it's really it's a degree system. So you would take like your dedication. And this is just in Wicca. Keep in mind, there are other types of paganism that are not Wicca. And that's actually what I practice now, even though I'm still a high priestess in the Wiccan faith. So you would dedicate yourself for a year and a day, make sure it's really what you want to do. Then you would get initiated and and do more study. And then second degree, you're kind of learning advanced study. And when you get to your third degree, your high priest or high priestess degree, that's when you're ready to teach and take on other students. So that's kind of a simplified version. When someone comes to you and says they're interested in paganism, put aside, or Wicca, you know, put aside the degree thing for a second. They're not sure. A year and a day, Boy, that seems like a long time to me. I'm not really that serious. Is there, I guess there's two questions here. Is there a book or a series of books that you recommend to people? The one that you found originally, maybe? Or, and the second question is, are there practices that someone can do from the beginning to help them orient themselves in the tradition and to see if, in fact, this is their path to awakening? Okay. Yeah, those are good questions. And I should mention beforehand that the dedication period, there's no commitment. If they get two days in and they decide to leave, no harm, no foul. Like, But it has to be at least a year and a day to progress. As far as books, I recommend anything by the Farrars, Janet and Stuart Farrar, Scott Cunningham, Starhawk. I now recommend my book because it's good for my sales. Absolutely. Uh, Margot Adler, you know, and then I actually encourage them to read everything, not just books on paganism. You know, even, even, and I mentioned this in Paganism on Parole, I even talk about, you know, you can get good stuff from the Bible if you get rid of the anger that I think a lot of people feel towards it initially. Like, you can find good stuff anywhere if you're able to put it through your BS filter. The Chalice and the Blade is another good book. Okay, I mean, these are... I mean, I didn't recognize every author you mentioned, but some I've, I knew and some I've read. So, so these are things that are readily available to people. And so, and what about practice? So I come to you, I want to, is there an introductory meditation practice? Is there something specific? There's a lot 
you can do. And it's going to kind of depend on the person and their comfort level and their limitations. And like, if they have a space, if they live at home, if they're in the broom closet, you know, all these things, but you already mentioned the one I usually encourage people to do. And that's start with meditation. Meditation is a huge part of the practice. And if until you can get yourself to a point where you can sit in a room in silence without distraction, like it's going to be hard to do some of the, I guess, for lack of a better word, I'll call them more advanced magics. But like learning to sit with yourself is one of the most important tools. And it's in so many different religions for a reason. And then there's things like, you know, have a meditation on full moon, look up like thousands of books have things you can do on the Sabbaths. Those are like Wiccan holidays, pagan holidays. There are things you can do then. You can you can do a deep breathing exercise. You can integrate yoga. If you're interested in, let's say you're interested in Old Norse practices, for example, you can get in the habit of pulling a rune every day and finding out what that means. Maybe you like tarot. You can pull a tarot card every day. There are so many little things that can be done every day and you just build on them. Or every week, you know, you positive, positive mantras, writing your intention on a mirror. I actually, I keep a blessings jar and every time something good happens to me, I write it on a piece of paper, I drop it in the jar and on New Year's, I read them all. And it's something I've been doing for many years. And, and it serves as a visual reminder when I have bad days. So all of these and so many more are things that people can do. If they're comfortable with prayer, like, oh, I grew up Catholic and I'm used to prayer and I want to incorporate that, pray. You can absolutely do that. There's so it's a very open system. So you can yes. integrate lots of things into it. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned in the essay that paganism is one of the fastest growing spiritual traditions. What do you think is fueling that? I'm not going to ask you, how do you imagine the future of paganism? Because <laughs> that's a stupid question. But here's my sense is that one of the things that's happening in organized religion is that people are walking away. Yeah. It isn't feeding their soul. And sometimes it's even, it's worse than not feeding the soul. It's actually starving it. Um, so in my mind, one of the attractions of paganism might be, I'm trying to overcome this sense of spiritual starvation. So I'm, the question is, you know, what, and maybe you can say this what I said, but what do you think is fueling the rise of paganism? Is it something that's happening with men and women? Or is it more among, is it more a feminist attraction? What, what is happening with this movement, if it is, if you can call it that? Well, so there do tend to be more females than men, but the rate of males is also increasing. And here's why I think it's happening. Number one, because you don't need an intermediary. You can talk to the gods yourself. You don't need a priest. You don't need a priestess. You don't need anybody. You can have a personal divine connection. Another reason is think about if you're female or you're homosexual or you're transgender and you're in a faith, particularly some of the more restrictive types of faith, and they tell you, no, this is wrong. This is bad. You're going to hell. How dare you? Your family disowns you. Why would you stay? Why? Yeah. You know, and and so paganism, like even in its origins, well, I can't, I 
I'm going to say it's modern origins because I wasn't around like, you know, in 10,000 BC. But well, you just don't remember. <laughs> you might have been. Oh, good point. So you were paying attention. <laughs> so it, in the, the beginnings of modern paganism, it's always been very welcoming. Like, we we don't care. Like, you, you want to, you know, if you're gay, welcome. If you're female, welcome. If you're an unwed mother, welcome. Like, we don't. Like we have bigger problems to worry about than what a person is doing with things that don't really affect us. And something that I found from my work with the incarcerated populations is even when I was just giving them basic stuff, like here's how you cast circle. Here's a way you can talk to the gods. Here's how you meditate. They were lighting up. It was feeding them. It was giving them something that we're being deprived of in the rest of the world. Well, so many faiths are, you know, worried about you following this rigid, unmoving, unbending line that has been the same for 2,000 years. I mean, it has changed a little bit, but this unbending line of thou shalt nots and you need to do this and you need to do this. And then you get a faith like, like the pagan faiths because it's more than one faith. And they're like, you know what? Come on in. Welcome. You want to smoke weed by the fire? Fine. You don't want to smoke weed by the fire? Fine. You want to dance? You want to drum? You want to celebrate life? You want to celebrate your faith? Welcome. And that's another big key is we celebrate our faith. We don't mourn it in some corner. We don't go through life thinking about how we're these horrible people who need redemption because how dare we be anything other than perfect. And in, in the pagan faith, it's okay that you're not perfect. It's, it really is. Well, given the fact that more and more people are realizing they're not perfect, <laughs> you can see what may be fueling it. I mean, th I mean, this has been a fascinating conversation. We've already gone over the normal time, so I don't want to keep you, but it's really interesting. And I think it's important to note that, and actually I should ask it as a yeah. question, but it seems to me that this is true, that throughout the history of polytheistic traditions, you don't find them warring against one another. There's always room for one more god or goddess, you know, on the, in the pantheon. So you don't see them battling over, you know, you know Zeus doesn't <laughs> go to war against, I don't know. Well, but, well, Hera for sure goes to war. <laughs> but they don't, it's not a, it's not like one paganism wars against another. It's not, is it, 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 I mean, it seems to me that's what you're saying, that they're open and flexible as opposed to the monotheistic traditions. Well, that's certainly how it is now. And you do have to consider that like the ancient Romans just went into Greece and they're like, oh, we like all this stuff. We're going to take it and rename it. And that became their religion. And we do see a lot of carryover because there's Woden and there's Odin who are the same God. And so you do see this intermingling of gods and goddesses. Like people definitely went to war and I'm sure there were wars over, you know, property and women and maybe even over religion, but we don't see it on the global scale that we do in the modern era. And I know that for paganism now, there tends to not be a lot of warring over, oh, you, um, you worship Odin and I worship Zeus and we can't be friends. Like that's usually not a thing that we see, especially in the modern pagan faith. So it's important to remember that like there has always been war and disputes. But if you look at European history, you will see like, oh, 
this goddess and this goddess are related. And oh, and look, they're also related to this goddess. And could this name have come from this goddess? So they were a lot more flexible and malleable and not so steadfast in their definitions. And I think if paganism had, if the pagan faith had carried through as the predominant faith throughout all this time in history, I think we still would have seen a lot of that, you know, okay, this God changed and formed and became what this society needed. And so did this one. And so did this one. I don't want to go so far as to say that, you know, there wouldn't be war because there were definitely, you know, conflicts and battles. But what I do think is that there wouldn't be wars over religion. Right. That's what I was getting at. That's what I was getting at. So that another reason why you might be hopeful that paganism grows, because there there is, I mean, you can see it just in the daily news, wars over religion. Really interesting, Owen. Our guest today, Owen Dawn, is the author of Paganism for Prisoners and her newest book, Paganism on Parole, Connecting to the Magic All Around. Her essay, Prison and Paganism, appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about her work at awendawn.com. Awen, thanks so much for talking with us on Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you so much. I had a blast, Rabbi Rami. You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at Spirit Health Mag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.